WDBM East Lansing. The Impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. You're tuned into Exposure, Michigan State student-run news program here on Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Rizal. We start off the show tonight with our third installment with the Associated Students of Michigan State University as we discuss upcoming Mental Health Awareness Week. From there, we'll go to my feature on Dr. Ray McCullen, the University Carolyn player. Then we have my interview with Marisa Martini, the president of the Student Health Advisory Council, with safe partying habits for this week's St. Patrick's festivities. We then go to Aaron Martinez with his feature on the culture surrounding the recent film adaptation of Fifty Shades of Grey. After that, we have Quinn Hoffman's interview with Chris Porterfield discussing the Wisconsin Eau Claire Music Festival. And we'll end the show with Quinn Hoffman as he introduces tonight's Michigan Storyteller segment. But first, here's your weekly impact update. Now it's time for an update from Impact News. Exposure will continue in just a moment, but first, here's your weekly impact update. Next week, the Michigan Student Power Network, as well as many other student activists, will be marching to the Capitol to make demands against the state. The Facebook page for this event invites all students to join them, making the statement, quote, as the future of Michigan, we will demand a state that is not only economically strong, but egalitarian and just, end quote. This march is set to take place Thursday the 26th, Over 300 students are projected to be attending the march, according to the organizers. Now we go to Impact reporter Rebecca Ryan with the nationwide protests erupting in Brazil. This past Sunday, hundreds of thousands of Brazilians peacefully marched throughout the country, demanding the impeachment of President Dilma Rousseff amidst issues with government corruption, including a scandal involving bribes taken by the national government to strengthen their contract with a state-run oil company. The protests occurred on the 30th anniversary of Brazil's return to a democratic state after a long military regime. Sao Paulo saw the largest protests taking place, with over 200,000 protesters reported. The nation's capital, Brasilia, also saw large-scale protests, as well as Porto Alegre and Rio de Janeiro. Despite the calls of impeachment against her and investigations being led on corruption claims, President Rousseff remains supportive of the peaceful protesters. With your international news, I'm Rebecca Ryan. Next, we have Impact reporter Sammy Leonardo with the happenings at this year's St. Patrick's Day Parade in Boston. This past weekend, Boston had its annual St. Patrick's Day Parade, but this year, gay and lesbian groups joined them in the march. Historically, the parade has held an anti-gay stance that had even won the support from the U.S. Supreme Court. However, this year, the South Boston Allied War Veterans Council, the group behind the organization of this parade, decided that they would be inclusive to the LGBT community. BBC News quoted Boston Mayor Marty Walsh, saying, With this year's parade, Boston is putting years of controversy behind us. With your Impact News, I'm Sammy Leonardo. That was your weekly impact update. Now, back to exposure. 
We start off the show tonight as I interview James Conwell and Catherine Moss from the Associated Students of Michigan State University as we discuss Mental Health Awareness Week. You're tuned into Exposure here on Impact 89 FM with your host, Daniel Rizal. I'm here with James Conwell and Catherine Moss from the Associated Students of Michigan State University here today to discuss Mental Health Awareness Week. Thank you for coming in today. Hey, thanks for having us again. Uh, third time's a charm. Third time's always a charm. <laughs> Uh, Let's start with some uh, introductions and what the two of you do at ASMSU. Fantastic. My name is James Conwell. I'm the president of ASMSU. Uh, I am the liaison between ASMSU and the uh, University Administration at Michigan State. I also preside over the General Assembly meetings and uh, help oversee all the services um, and advocacy that we do at ASMSU. I'm Catherine Moss. I'm the Vice President for Internal Administration with ASMSU. I am the undergraduate advisor to our four class councils, as well as the liaison between the General Assembly and the Office of the President. Um, How about we get a a quick rundown of ASMSU and what they they do here for students? Sure. Uh, We offer a number of services at ASMSU. Uh, Well, actually, I'll start by saying that we're the we're the student government for all students for all undergraduate students at Michigan State University. Uh, we offer a number of services ranging from uh, loans to uh, legal services and blue books and eye clickers for all undergraduate students. Uh, in addition, we do a lot of advocacy work around campus. We have a third of the decision-making seats at Michigan State, and we uh, were able to really uh, accurately and very well portray the student voice. Now, we have uh, Mental Health Awareness Week coming up. We now, do. Uh, when is that? It is March 30th through April 3rd. And uh, is this an annual event? Uh, It's becoming one. Uh, This is actually the second annual uh, Mental Health Awareness Week. The first one was last year, April 7th through the 11th uh, of 2014. And what what goes on during Mental Health Awareness Week? Uh, Well, I mean, that's a good question. So we're still trying to uh, figure out what's the best way to reach the student body. Uh, Last year, we had a lot of events uh, on and around campus. Uh, We had Yoga by the Rock. Uh, We had an event called uh, Embrace the Rain, where we had students speak about their experience with mental health, whether it be positive or negative, um, and really just try to release the stigma. Uh, This year, we have uh, a similar theme where it's release the stigma, so releasing the stigma surrounding mental health uh, issues and helping students uh, and making it more aware about the services on campus uh, and helping students get access to that. Um, Some of the big events we have planned uh, are yoga at... Uh, the Breslin Center, um, as well as Zumba at the Breslin Center. In addition to uh, a nap at the planetarium for students to relax, it'll be napping under the stars uh, for students to relax uh, throughout the day, in addition to awareness on services that uh, Michigan State University offers, such as the Counseling Center or Social Workers at Olin Health Center. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about this, uh, this week. Uh, one of the big reasons that we're involved is because mental health affects so many students on campus, and in fact, uh, it's pretty integral to student success. 46% of students uh, report that MSU, the MSU Counseling Center, uh, which provides uh, services to all students at Michigan State University, um, 46% report that going to the Counseling Center helped them stay in school, and 62% reported that uh, those services helped them uh, perform better in their classes. Now, uh, are you doing any, I guess, any collaborations with any other groups here on campus or any of the centers? or? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so I'm glad you asked that. Um, the heart of Mental Health Awareness Week, uh, the first annual Mental Health Awareness Week, was collaboration, um, and we're continuing that spirit with the second annual Mental Health Awareness Week. 
Uh, we're touching on a lot of different groups on campus. Um, we're working with RHA. We're working with the Greek groups such as P uh, Panhellenic Council and uh, Interfraternity Council. We're also working with the Impact uh, to help get the word out. Um, and we're working, we're collaborating with the Counseling Center, getting statistics from them as well as uh, a lot of their advice on the issues. And we're uh, working with different individuals from the Olin Health Center to help uh, uh, do outreach um, on a lot of the activities and get more statistics and help get students access to the services. Um, and we're working with the city. The city uh, passed a resolution uh, supporting Mental Health Awareness Week um, and a lot of uh, places around campus, um, or excuse me, off campus, uh, such as businesses, will be having green lights um, in support of Mental Health Awareness Week. Uh, green is the color of mental health, for those of you who don't know. Uh, we'll have signs on Grand River and Michigan Avenue uh, advertising for Mental Health Awareness Week as well. Now, uh, outside of uh, Mental Health Awareness Week, I also had uh, Medical Amnesty Week that you did back in uh, September, was it? Uh, October. It October. was the uh, week before, uh, the. I'm sorry, it was a week after the Michigan game, so it was the week leading up to Halloween. Sure. Now, uh, with all these different, um, I guess, awareness weeks that, mm -hmm. that ASMSU organizes, um, is this something that you feel like is really, uh, I guess, integral part with outreaching to students? Uh, I mean, I believe so. Uh, when we talk about health and safety uh, of students at Michigan State University, it's always uh, one of the most important issues to them. Uh, beyond that, I mean, if you're not, if you don't feel safe in your environment, if you aren't at optimal health, um, it's going to be really difficult to learn. It's going to be really difficult to succeed. So these issues really matter to students, and we're concerned about them uh, from an ASMSU standpoint. So when we have these awareness weeks, when we have these weeks where we try to connect students to services, when we have these weeks where we advocate for greater services for students, uh, it's absolutely integral to uh, what we do as a student government. It's absolutely integral to the student experience that we have these resources for students and that they're able to access them. Now, uh, how will the, the class councils be getting involved with spreading the word? So, actually, Ryan Smith, who is our vice president for special projects, he has formed a mental health awareness kind of promotional team, and uh, there's representatives from each class council on that um, that team, and they're tasked with planning the different events with the different major governing groups. Um, the biggest thing for class councils is they just want to help out wherever they can. So they have volunteered or offered to, you know, go out and spread the word, hand out T-shirts, hand out stress balls, things like that. Um to the student body just to reach as many students as we can. Now, uh, we have the tax vote coming up in we just do. a couple weeks now. Uh, how about we get a rundown of all the details on that? Sure. Uh, so students will be able to vote um, April 6th through the 13th, um, and they can find information about uh, the link to vote uh, at asmsu.msu.edu. Um, this will be a tax vote for uh, the Residence Halls Association, or RHA, which represents students on campus, as well as uh, the impact, which you're listening to now. Um, both those taxes are up. Um, um, both organizations provide really great services. Um, there's, uh, at the impact, there's a lot of, uh, there's over 200 student uh, employees and volunteers, so a lot of students coming through, um, getting great learning experience and helping them move on to the next step, as well as the specialty shows for every, uh, really every student on campus, and they try to be really responsive to uh, what students want. Um, so that'll be really exciting that there's a vote uh, from April 6th to the 13th that students can uh, vote uh, on uh, the tax for both 
RHA as well as the impact. And that can be found at asmsu.msu.edu. Uh, in addition, there will be representative elections and class council election, elections for ASMSU uh, held during that week. And those are representatives of the student body, um, either from each college or from every class. And they're able to uh, put their voice forward on issues that matter to students. And uh, it's it would be important for students to vote um, so that they would be able to make their voice heard um, and really uh, help continue uh, a lot of the services that are already helping students and providing enjoyments to students all around campus. Would you like to add anything to that? I would just stress that if you enjoy the services that Impact or RHA offer, I would highly, highly encourage you to get out and vote. And uh, for listeners out there, uh, to learn more about what we do here at Impact89FM, you can head over to impact89fm.org, learn more about the specialty shows we do here, all of our different exposure programs, all of our sports shows, all the new articles that we write online uh, to get a better feel for what you are voting on in the coming weeks. Now, uh, was there anything else that you'd like to add? Uh, I'm really excited for the election coming up in just a couple of weeks here. Um, I believe it's about two weeks from today. Uh, it's April 6th through the 13th. Uh, if you would like to have um, provide input on to uh, how services you see at Michigan State University, how uh, what issues that are being advocated for at Michigan State University and the services that are provided here, um, I strongly encourage students to vote um, for the impact tax as well as RHA and uh, vote. I encourage students to vote in the uh, representative elections for ASMSU as well. Covered it all. All right. All right. <laughs> well, James and Catherine, thank you for coming in once again here. Thank you oh, for having thank us. thank you. It was a lot of fun. Back to Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. We now go to my feature on Dr. Ray McCullen, who I met at Beaumont Tower just a few weeks ago on a Tuesday morning as he played his weekly recital on our university, Carolyn. Many sounds are familiar on Michigan State's campus, like the cattle roaring down the streets or the students walking around and chatting with friends. But perhaps none are more familiar than the bells that ring every quarter hour from just north of the Red Cedar. On a chilly Tuesday morning, I walked over to Beaumont Tower and waited outside of the massive wooden doors for Dr. Ray McCullen, our university Carolyn player. After opening the creaky wooden door and inviting me inside, I chatted with Dr. McCullen before we ascended the 73 steps to the top of the tower. As soon as the clock struck noon, Dr. McCullen sat down at the carillon and began pounding away at the instrument's 49 bells, ranging from 15 pounds all the way to two and a half tons for his weekly half-hour recital.
Dr. McCullen has been the university Caroliner here at Michigan State since 1997, yet he doesn't feel that all students are fully aware of their opportunity to climb the tower every Tuesday at noon. I'm not sure how many students actually get up into this area. And so I th it would be great if before everybody graduates, they could visit the tower and come upstairs and watch me play. And set that's an experience that a lot of them are amazed at. They have no idea that somebody actually sets, sits up here and plays the Caroline. They think it's a computer. Dr. McCullen also teaches lessons for students who are interested in playing the Caroline. And according to him, some students are beyond excited to have the opportunity to play a Caroline here at our university. I teach several students. Some of my students are university students, and, and depending on how much background in music they have, some of them can advance fairly quickly so that they can play the Caroline during the years that there are students here. As a matter of fact, I have a new student just started recently. She's from Ukraine, and she happens to be a nurse in town, but she always had a dream. This, she said this was on her bucket list to learn to play the Caroline. So I said, well, fine, let's come and do it. And she's quite thrilled to be able to come and practice here. After we wrapped up our interview, Dr. McCullen gave a brief history on the 15th century instrument, but not without a quick joke. This art of playing the Caroline and this art of the instrument, uh, we sometimes like to call it the original heavy metal music. Big bell, this big two and a half ton bell. It keeps ringing and ringing and ringing. You can play a little bell and the sound is gone. Mm. So, so when you play Caroline music, um, you're not gonna play a lot of really fast stuff in the bass. The fast stuff usually works best in the in the hands up and towards the top of the of the keyboard but you can play melodies in the bass and so sometimes i have pieces where i'm playing melodies you can visit dr mccullen and experience one of his recitals at the top of beaumont tower every tuesday from noon to 12:30 here on michigan state's campus for impact news i'm daniel rizal We now go to my interview with Marisa Martini, the president of the Student Health Advisory Council, as we discuss safe partying habits for tonight's and this week's St. Patrick's festivities. You're tuned into Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Rizal, and I'm here with Marisa Martini, the president of the Student Health Advisory Council here at Michigan State University. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Not a problem. Um, how about we just start off with an introduction and what you do at the Advisory Council? Yeah, so um, my name's Marisa, like you already said. Um, I'm president of the Student Health Advisory Council, and just kind of what our mission as a group is, is to just allow um, students to have more exposure to the different types of health resources that are available to them on campus, um, getting students more informed about what's available to them, and just getting the word out there about different means of prevention um, for students, ways to stay healthy while you're at school. Um, for a lot of students, especially our freshman students, it's a big transition moving from, you know, mom and dad's home to a big college campus. And so um, we have a lot of resources available through Olin, through the other, you know, groups on campus. Uh, we put on our own types of events too, just to help promote healthy lifestyles on campus um, and just to be there for students that might want to, you know, get involved with prevention and doing, you know, public health type work. Sure. Okay. So let's, uh, let's break that down a bit. Um, 
So what are some of the services that you offer to students here on campus? Yeah, so Olin Health Center is obviously available to everyone. It's part of their your tuition. Um, so Olin Health Center is available for students. Um, you get visits throughout the year. Um, and then we also have offered psychiatry services now. You get one lifetime visit um, while you're on campus to do that. Counseling Center is also available, though it's something that um, is kind of at capacity utilization wise, um, though they will be able to recommend you out to other resources um, that to get help. So there's things like that. But then we also do a lot of like, you know, de-stress type events during finals. Um, Mental Health Awareness Week is something that's coming up pretty soon. And that's something that my organization has been um, a very integral part of um, putting on events just you know, encouraging mental health. We actually have another event that's coming up soon called the Love Shack, and we give out, you know, stuff about um, how to stay sex- stay sexually healthy um, in addition to just healthy relationships, having a healthy relationship with yourself, with other people, um, and what you can define those as, um, and just giving out more resources about that type of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned uh, Mental Health Awareness Week. So do you work with ASMSU? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Mental Health Awareness Week is a big collaboration between ASMSU, the Student Health Advisory Council, um, RHA, UAB, um, a lot of other organizations on campus as well contribute to making that week a success. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, So beyond what you do here on campus, do you also work with the East Lansing community at all or even the Lansing community? Yeah. um, So... My organization in particular, a lot of our events are open to the public. Um, I know that with Mental Health Awareness Week, though it is targeted at students, that's something that anyone can participate in those things. Um, My personal involvement, I'm an intern with the Community Relations Coalition, so I have my own kind of personal involvement with um, the city of East Lansing and just different organizations that are based in East Lansing, just because I'm really into community development and advocacy, so... That's kind of my own thing, but um, a lot of our events can be available to anyone in the East Lansing community to, you know, learn because you can learn about, you know, how to stay healthy, how to prevent, you know, illness and disease at any age. So anyone's welcome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, what are some of the, I guess, some of the promotional work that you've done uh, for the council as far as getting your message out on campus to students? Yeah, so we have, I mean, we have like our Facebook group, we have our website, things like that. So we try and stay pretty active on those Twitter things of that nature. Um, Beyond that, we have... Oh, yeah. So um, the Ducks are actually kind of a separate part of Olin, um, but we do promote the Ducks and promote the Duck Day events. Actually, the Ducks will be at one of our events handing out some of their shirts. Um, So we do collaborate with the other Olin groups, um, though they are a separate entity. Social Norms is Mm -hmm. a different group than um, the Student Health Advisory Council, but we do like to collaborate on all of our events. Sure. Well, I'm here with Marisa Martini, the president of the Student Health Advisory Council. And uh, uh, earlier today, uh, Quinn mentioned to me that you also work on something called the Celebration Committee. Yeah, so I've been involved with the Celebrations Committee for the past two years now, um, just as sort of kind of my e-board role. I go to those meetings as well. But the Celebrations Committee is um, a group of students as well as um, faculty, members of the MSU community that are really... um, trying to make sure that when celebratory events happen on or off campus, that they're happening the safest way possible, um, and that students are being safe, that the 
necessary precautions are being taken to help students understand resources that are available to them to stay safe when there are celebratory events going on um, and that there are activities for students to do, you know, outside of, you know, the typical type of tailgate or whatever. There are other things that students can participate in that maybe don't involve, you know, drinking or doing other stuff like that. Um, So just making sure that there's a wide range of resources available um, for students and that the necessary, um, you know, messaging has been put out to the student body so that they're informed about what's going to be happening during the weekend and how to stay safe while they're out enjoying um, all the great celebratory events that we're so lucky to have here at MSU, Mm -hmm. especially with our athletics and, you know, holidays, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. As far as like the uh, the alternatives go for what what students, I guess what's what's available to students um, as far as instead of going out and drinking before events or like what what are some of the other alternatives that are available to them? Yeah, so a lot of times UAB has events that go into um, the later hours of the evening, um, and those will be hosted at the Union. A lot of times um, there's the free bowling things like that. So those are sort of alternatives that are housed, you know, within the union through UAB. There's also um, the culinary services on campus. A lot of times they'll host tailgates that happen within the dorms. And so you can attend one of those tailgates and the game will be on. There will be free food, you know, prizes, things like that. Um, Just another way for students to be able to celebrate without necessarily having to go out and drink or if they don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, So there are other options available for students um, through those other organizations. Mm -hmm. Now, um, how did the the celebration committee react to the uh, recently as far as, I guess, the the rioting that occurred? Was that anything that was uh, dealt with by the celebration committee? Yeah, it's definitely something that gets discussed um, because that's, You know, it's a huge safety issue for students. And the main goal of this committee is to keep students safe, not to, you know, ban partying or ban, you know, celebrating. It's to keep students safe when they do choose to partake in these activities and to inform students on, you know, there may be legal repercussions for things that happen. And it's not trying to scare students or, you know catch people off guard. The point of the celebrations committee is to get that messaging out there so that students know, you know, what could happen if you choose to participate in certain things. And I mean, the rioting and things like that, it obviously is not the way that I want my degree to be looked at. Um, And I know a lot of other students share that opinion. And so it's important that there are other students on this committee as well um, that kind of express their ideas about how students can be reached um, just so that, you know, we're all being able to be safe over the weekend or when there's a celebratory event happening in East Lansing. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, this week we have St. Patrick's Day, and of course there have been events happening before, and I'm sure they'll be continuing uh, throughout this weekend. But um, again, I guess going back on the alternatives, what, how how can students safely celebrate their St. Patrick's Day this year? Things that will be available around. So we'll be passing out duck shirts. That's happening at Holmes Hall tonight. So, I mean, you can get your green on by getting one of those. There will be different tables set up around campus, um, and students can get information from those different booths that are set up. Um, What what are some of the, I guess, the major dangers or concerns that students might not be aware of uh, coming this week with all the different social events? Yeah, so... 
what I at least feel like, and I uh, many other people share this concern, the biggest concern with students, it's not necessarily, you know, drinking to excess or something like that. It's more so just staying with your friends, making sure that you're staying with a group, um, that you're with people that know you well, um, that are looking out for you, looking out for your best interests, and just sticking with that group. So it's, you know, as long as you have that good support system with you um, while you're out celebrating, you shouldn't have too much to worry worry about. Um, And if you do happen to get in some kind of situation where, you know, someone has drank too much or you yourself has, there's always medical amnesty for students that are under 21 years of age. And so taking advantage of that, knowing that that um, will protect you from any kind of, you know, legal action or an MIP or something like that happening, you don't have to worry. You just make the call um, so that you can get help and, you know, potentially save someone's life um, in that kind of circumstance. So making sure that students know that that's um, available to them so that, you know, they don't miss an opportunity to really, you know, make a, make a difference for someone. Even if it's someone, you know, that you don't know, you can always make that call. So sticking with a group, knowing about um, medical amnesty, those are really important for students um, to take into consideration before they head out for their celebratory activities. Mm-hmm. So for students who are interested in learning more about the Student Health Advisory Council, where can they go to? You can check out our website. It's msuhealth.weebly.com. Um, I know it's kind of weird, but websites. <laughs> um, or you can check us out on Facebook. Um, it's just facebook.com um, backslash MSUSHAC, so MSU Shack. Um, and you can check out more about what we do, our campaigns throughout the year, and just getting information through those outlets. Um, we have a calendar that's updated with our events that are going on all the time on our website. And then through our Facebook, we like to push out a lot of different health promotion things that may not even be, you know, advertising for events on campus, but just good things for people to know or just bits of information to think about um, while you're going through your day. So mm-hmm. Now, is the council open for students to join? Yes, it is. Um, we actually, our application will be opening up later tonight, um, so this week pretty much, and then it will be open until um, April 10th. And so you'll just go to our website and there's going to be an apply tab and it's a Google form and you fill that out. Um, yeah. And it's a pretty easy process. And then we do our member selection and it's a great group of people. It's a very diverse group of people. A lot of times with health groups on campus, you think that, oh, it's just, you know, all pre-med kids or something like that. But um, it's it's a really diverse group. We have people from James Madison. We have people from ARCA. We have, you know, Briggs kids, things like that. But um, it's students from all over campus, communications, people that are interested in health communications. Um, I know I'm going into public health. So it's, you know, it's a broad range of people and they all bring all of these different ideas and perspectives. And it's a really collaborative group of individuals and they're able to put on some great events that I'm really proud of. So Mm -hmm. Marisa Martini, thank you for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. We now go to Impact reporter Aaron Martinez as he introduces the culture surrounding the recent film adaptation of Fifty Shades of Grey. Mr. Grey will see you now. They're the words that started a worldwide phenomenon. Fifty Shades of Grey, the cult novel series by British author E.L. James, recently released as a full-length movie, has taken the world by storm with its story of a seemingly forbidden love in the 21st century. It's the story of the extravagant Christian Grey and his lust for the timid 21-year-old Anastasia Steele, 
a hardware store cashier who, in a turn of events, finds herself in his office one day taking the place of a friend, a reporter doing a story on the secretive billionaire. Upon meeting, the two become immediately drawn to one another, enthralled, one captivated by a rich man's intensity, and the other longing for a relationship beyond the confines of what many consider to be typical. Can I help you with... Do you stock cable ties? Cable ties, yes, we do. I can show you if you want. Please lead the way. The book is about as believable as Little Red Riding Hood, with a kinky zest found in few books outside of the adult section of Barnes & Noble. Fifty Shades doesn't hide behind its charm, but instead chooses to confront it head-on as its characters delve into the world of BDSM, bondage, dominance, sadism, and masochism. When a book sells as much as the Fifty Shades fairy tale has, a stunning 100 million copies in over 51 languages, a movie seems almost inevitable, which is why hardly anyone was surprised when Universal Pictures secured the rights to release the film adaptation on, of course, Valentine's Day. Immediately, the movie smashed film records all over the world, grossing over $540 million worldwide. It currently stands as the highest-grossing movie of 2015 so far, and the third-highest-grossing film directed by a female director, only behind, can you guess? Kung Fu Panda 2 and Mamma Mia. Now, the Fifty Shades franchise is huge, a worldwide hit of massive proportions, but the film hasn't been without its equal controversy. And that's where Dr. Amy Bonomi comes in. Dr. Bonomi is the head of the Human Development and Family Studies Department at Michigan State University, where she lectures and researches the topics of long-term health effects associated with domestic violence, dating violence, child abuse, and the intimacy dynamics which keep violent relationships intact. Currently, Dr. Bonomi is the only scholar to have published two peer-reviewed studies on the Fifty Shades phenomenon. Last year, she authored a study on the Fifty Shades book published in the Journal of Women's Health, which found that depictions of violence and aggression against women in pop culture, such as those depicted in Fifty Shades, creates a social narrative which normalizes these risks and behaviors in women's lives. With this study firmly in her back pocket, Bonomi set her sights on finding out what draws people toward narratives like these. Along with MSU professor Dr. Yuya Kayuchi, an expert on pop and youth culture, Bonomi led a team of graduate and undergraduate research students as they dissected the very intimate and personal issues surrounding Fifty Shades of Grey. So we were really interested, so despite that we showed that there was uh, rampant abuse in the relationship between Christian and Anastasia, why so many women were being drawn to this particular narrative and what, what, was, what was appealing to them. So we interviewed young women between the ages of 18 and 24 to ask them about aspects of the relationship that they found appealing, those things that they didn't find appealing, to really understand where they were, what, 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 what was attracted to them. And that much has been the foundation to Bonomi's team's research. At a special lecture at the Kellogg Center on March 4th, Dr. Bonomi held a panel discussion of campus community members and experts on their perceptions of Fifty Shades, many of whom providing a dissenting voice to the book and movie's narrative of relationship control and dominance masked as romance a narrative that the book's author, E.L. James, isn't afraid to take you to task on via social media, if you're so inclined. And while Dr. Bonomi seems to share in their skepticism of the book's merits, 
She's far from advocating for banning the book entirely. Yeah, so we use national definitions of domestic violence to analyze the relationship between Christian and Anastasia and showed that the relationship really does mimic what we see in real-world domestic violence relationships. So there's stalking, a lot of controlling behavior. He socially isolates Anastasia from family and friends, and he minimizes the abuses that he afflicts upon her. I mean, so it's interesting that the, that the author really does effectively weave in the elements of romance, which I think is a draw for many of the female readers to the book. Um, um, so the, the, the challenge really is, is that there are these underlying abuse patterns as well. So, you know, we've thought about this, like the book ne shouldn't necessarily be banned, but we really want women to be reading the book with a critical eye and recognizing some of, some of the abuse patterns that we're seeing. An issue at the front and center to many people has been the franchise's depiction of BDSM relationships as being all about violence and abuse. Bonomi's team of researchers tries to reject this notion in their research by drawing a clear distinction between healthy BDSM relationships and domestic violence. So yeah, the relationship in Fifty Shades of Grey is not typical. It's not consistent with the typical BDSM relationship. So in a typical BDSM relationship, uh, the power relationship is egalitarian. Uh, the boundaries are set before the couple begins engaging in particular sexual practices of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. In those relationships, the use of alcohol or drugs is assumed to negate consent. In Fifty Shades, alcohol is used throughout the sexual interactions, and intimidation and pressure is used by Christian. He initiates a lot of the sexual interactions when he's genuinely ang angry at Anastasia and pressures her into activities that she's uncomfortable with. So there's no negotiation. Dr. Bonomi's findings have been well-received throughout Michigan State University and beyond. For undergraduate political science student and research participant Samantha Perry, the preliminary findings caught her by surprise. So I suppose I was a little bit surprised, like, you can't see it, it's right there, it's abusive, but on the other hand, I know lots of girls in my peer group that read and enjoyed these books and didn't see anything at all wrong with it, so on that hand, it was kind of expected. Without a doubt, there have been few book franchises that have taken the twists and turns found with Fifty Shades of Grey, and the momentum doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. But, as Dr. Bonomi points out, the key to watching movies with subtle mixed messages like Fifty Shades is a critical eye. The sequel, Fifty Shades Darker, is scheduled for a release sometime next year, and with it, this reporter is confident that Michigan State University will continue to lead the research into the next chapter. Reporting for Impact Exposure, I'm Aaron Martinez. Next, we have Quinn Hoffman as he interviews Chris Porterfield from the Wisconsin Eau Claire Music Festival coming up this July. We're sitting down here with Chris Porterfield, a, uh, a lead creative mind behind Field Report. Um, how are you doing, Chris? I'm great, Quinn. How are you, man? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, so Field Report is a uh, kind of a folky band that has, uh, you have two, album out, two albums out right now. Uh, what would you describe the genre as? It's it's kind of folk, but there's a little bit more to it, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess at its core, it's it's sort of in the the singer songwriter tradition uh, of American music, I guess. But uh, sometimes we dress it up with a little more than the uh, the normal uh, acoustic instruments. We like to sort of paint with a broad palette of colors, I guess. Uh, whatever whatever the songs tell us, they need. All right. Um, 
so yeah, so far you guys, uh, you have who who's all ma- making up the band? Obviously you, but are there other members to the band that uh, that make it? Uh, field report. Yeah, on drums and uh, electronics and singing is Shane Leonard, and uh, on bass and keys and guitar and electronics and singing is Tom Winsek. All right. Um, is there anything else so far? You got two albums out. Uh, are you guys currently working on anything else, or are you just kind of kind of tour around? Uh, you know, go to the festivals. Uh, yeah, there's the latest record, Marigold, and came out in October, and so we've been touring on that pretty much uh, nonstop. We took a few weeks off in December, but we've been running around uh, all this year already. And in fact, I leave again on tour tomorrow morning. Uh, doing a solo run for about six weeks. Uh, yeah, and then uh, then we're starting to come into festival season. So, yeah, we're going to be making the rounds at, at all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're sort of beginning to write whatever the next thing is going to be, but we'll be touring on Marigolden for the rest of the year. All right. Um, a big question when interviewing Vans is uh, asking about inspirations. Obviously, listeners know your music sometimes pretty well, and... Uh, I guess could you name some sounds or some uh, artists that really went went into creating your own musical tastes and uh, what you begin to create with your music? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I'm really into a band right now called the Blue Nile. Uh, they were from Glasgow. They were active mostly in the '80s. They made a couple of records. Uh, they're really great, they're really strong lyrical songs, a uh, great singer, um, but they also used, like, I don't know, electronic elements and just sort of whatever was around that inspired them. And I guess that's kind of the, the our MO, is to just sort of chase sounds and ideas that resonate with us, and hopefully that resonates with people that listen to what we do as well. Dope. Um, so this summer, uh, you guys are going to be performing at the Eau Claire Festival, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so at this festival, there's some headliners of uh, Bon Iver, uh, The National, uh, I think Spoon was on there, some pretty big names. Uh, have you guys done a uh, an event of that size before with those kinds of t- names in it? Uh, I mean, yeah, we've done festivals and stuff uh, with people with uh, big audiences. Uh, that's kind of the fun of festivals for us is get to see old friends and, and see uh, artists that you admire and enjoy listening to. And uh, yeah, it's just a good, I mean, it's, it's as much fun for people playing the festivals as it is for people attending. Cause it's kind of like a family reunion. And this one in Eau Claire is specifically going to be very like, family reunion sort of summer camp vibes because all three of us in field report uh, spent time in Eau Claire before field report. And so it's going to be fun to see uh, some, some friends and family and, and, uh, and peers and, and, uh, and buddies all sort of converging on a place where we know and are familiar with it in a different context. So it's going to be cool to get people from all over the place uh, to see uh, what Eau Claire's all about. So have have you been to uh, Eau Claire Festival before? 
Well, this is the first year of the Eau Claire Festival that Vern's putting on, uh, but it's going to be primarily held on the grounds where they hold the big country music festival every year. Uh, and so I'm familiar with that area. Um, and it, it'll be fun to just to see it uh, taken over by uh, by a different crowd, you know, uh, as opposed to the straw hat, Bud Light, swilling crowd. Uh, right, right. The, uh, a different a different vibe, uh, and so it'll be cool. Do you think that's a a good kind of turn? Do you would you prefer this kind of new crowd with uh, less less country focus and more of a folk? Oh, I I don't I don't discriminate against musical tastes or, or preferences. I mean, I I love country music. I've been been writing some country songs with a buddy uh, lately, and listening to a lot of the Judds. Look at my audio right now; it's all Judds and Tim McGraw. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this is a new thing, and it's really exciting. And I know that Justin and everybody involved is bringing uh, a lot of energy and excitement and, and fresh ideas to what a festival is and can be. I think there's going to be some, uh, some cool surprises, um, that they're working on to sort of flip the festival experience, uh, on its head a little bit. So field report was, uh, a band formed in Wisconsin, right? Milwaukee. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what was it like, uh, you know, making a band in that kind of area? What's the music scene like in Wisconsin? Oh, it's great. Uh, uh, there's a lot of good stuff happening in Milwaukee right now. Uh, you know, scenes ebb and flow, um, and uh, they'll be cold for a few years, and then they'll warm up for a few years, and people get excited. And uh, but uh, the thing is to to be able to weather to weather those uh, those ebbs and flows. Uh, when I was in Eau Claire, uh, that was kind of a high time. And then Eau Claire went down for a little while, and I think it's maybe coming back up again. Uh, and the same could be said for Milwaukee. I mean, there there was, a, like, the Violent Femmes are from here. Uh, there was a bunch of bands that were really active and getting out into the world uh, in, like, the 80s and early 90s. But Milwaukee was sort of on a low ebb as far as uh, anything on, a like, a bigger national scale. Uh, but right now, there's a lot of people that are doing great work and, and really hungry, and the the city and the scene are really supportive right now, and there's a lot of good energy. Um, so it's a great time to be making music in Wisconsin, specifically in Milwaukee. Awesome. On a final note here, uh, what are you looking forward to most this summer about Eau Claire Festival? Just the hangs, you know. Uh, it's going to get a lot of people together that haven't all been in the same place together for a long time. And it's going to be great to, to catch up. And, you know, that's how it is kind of with all these festivals uh, that happen in the summertime. You know, everybody sort of converges on a place and then uh, all the bands get to hang out and have dinner and, and catch up and swap stories and, and, and see music together. And it'll be that, you know, Claire, but even more so because there's so much shared history and so much camaraderie. And, and there's just a lot of love, you know, sometimes... Sometimes uh, pop music or rock music or whatever, there can be like sort of an egocentric thing or like a competitive thing. Uh, but I, I have a feeling that that is going to be completely absent uh, in Eau Claire just because we've all got 
so much history and so much so much skin in the game uh, in our own projects, but also with each other's projects. And uh, it's just going to be really, really fun. And I'm super proud of the work that Justin and, and all the guys that he's brought together to organize this festival have, have put in. Uh, and they're being really thoughtful about it, really, really considered uh, from the lineup to the locations of things to, like I said, with, without spilling too many beans, uh, just like cool, interesting things to sort of augment the traditional festival experience. All right, thanks for joining me, Chris. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice talking to you. Before we end the show tonight with Quinn Hoffman and tonight's Michigan Storyteller segment, here's a quick message. You're listening to Impact Exposure. First floor. Hey, what floor are you going to? Oh, uh, three. Thanks. (coughs) Hey, didn't we uh, have... Yeah, that one class. Yeah, that's so funny to, <laughs> to see you, because I <coughs> thought maybe we could... Uh, would you ever want to... Um, I was wondering if you, if I could stick my finger in your eye. What? No. Oh, I just flushed some toilets and touched a doorknob. What? I've been keeping this moist Kleenex Ew, in my pocket. that's uh, so gross. I thought we could, you know, just stick my finger Ugh. in your eye. Is that weird? No, don't touch me. What's wrong with you? Oh. Sorry. Well, ever since you got in the elevator, you've been coughing all over your hands and pressing those buttons, so I just thought you were into that kind of thing. Free. Studies show that three-quarters of women and only half of men actually wash their hands in the bathroom. That's nasty. Stop the flu and other germs by regularly washing with soap and avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. More at cdc.gov slash clean hands. Impact 89 FM. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. From 10 p.m. until midnight Sunday nights, listen to the Impact Afterglow, where you can hear a variety of relaxed tracks to help you ease into the start of a new week. Only on Impact Primetime. Now, back to Impact Exposure. You are listening to Michigan Storytellers, the segment where Michiganders come in and tell their true, interesting slash funny slash exciting stories on air. Last week, uh, we had Steve Doubt tell his story, but this was a week where a lot of people were out of town because it was spring break at MSU. So uh, he had such a wonderful story. We're going to play it again tonight to make sure everyone hears it. Um, remember, as you're listening to this story, if it... Uh, intrigues you if it interests you and you feel like you have a similar experience or maybe something completely different but you want to share it anyway give us a email contact us uh the email is going to be on the website at impact89fm.org and you can email me at news at impact89fm.org um me or sarah tarico my co-worker will be ecstatic to hear from you please send us anything you're willing to share on the radio we want to hear it And remember, if you're not an advanced storyteller, we can help you tell the story. Without further ado, here's Steve Doubt with the Vietnam Quaker. I was born and raised a Quaker. Quakers are more formally known as the Society of Friends. The basic principles of Quakerism include reverence for life and opposition to all wars, 
uh, respect for the natural world and environmental stewardship and responsibility for your actions. You show your core values not by what you say, but what you do. Also, silence is always a part of a Quaker worship service. And some meetings simply consist of people sitting around for an hour in complete and total silence. Quakers aren't shakers, Amish or Puritans. Quakers don't reject technology, and they don't dress like the oatmeal guy. I haven't been a practicing Quaker since I left home at the age of 18, but as I get along in life, I've come to realize how much those early years have influenced the decisions that I've made. I received my college degree in geology because of my reverence for the natural world. My understanding of the value of silence has translated to an ongoing meditation practice, and during the Vietnam War, I was a conscientious objector. Now, it wasn't that I was opposed to that particular war, but that participation in any war would be a violation of a very core belief. So at age 17, I found myself in a very long and slow-moving line at the Muscatine, Iowa County Courthouse. Almost everybody in the line knew each, knew each other, uh, but we weren't really talking to each other because each one of us there was silently rehearsing what he was going to say to the military review board to defend his application for CO status. So after standing in that line for what seemed like hours, I was second in line between a father and a son. The doors opened and this army general came out. And uh, this was the first time I had ever seen anybody in full dress military uniform before, up front and personal. And uh, this general cut a very imposing figure. The father and son started walking into the hearing room. And the general stopped the father. He put his hand on the father's chest. And he said, you can't come in. When the father tried to protest, the general said, it's about time your son learned to defend himself. He's, he's the one applying for status, and he's the only one we're going to talk to. The father was frustrated but sat down on a bench just outside the door. The boy went into the hearing room with the general, and these thick wooden doors closed behind him. These doors, I remember them really well. They were very, very heavy wooden, oversized doors, very thick, obviously designed to keep us out and the sounds of the hearing room in. The voices, uh, I, I still heard voices through that door, and they started rising very rapidly just a few minutes into that session. Clearly, there was some shouting going on, and, and the father obviously saw that too, and he started pacing back and forth. Finally, I heard the general's voice, and he was obviously very angry, and he was shouting at the top of his lungs. What you're saying doesn't make any sense. We're done with you. Get out and close the damn door behind you. The doors open, a very red-faced door, my age, or, uh, the very red-faced boy 
who was my age, came out, tears streaming down his face, fell into his father's arms, and they made their way out the front door of the courthouse. Then there was complete and utter silence, except for one sound, my heart beating very rapidly. After a few hellish moments for me, the doors opened again. The general stepped out. He looked down at me and said, are you steved out? Now, according to the journal of George Fox, the guy who founded the Society of Friends in the 1600s and was repeatedly thrown in prison for his beliefs, in his journal, he documented an incident in the year 1650 when he found himself in front of Justice Bennett of Derby, England. After some very heated discussion, which was, uh, frankly, about his next incarceration, Fox became very agitated, and he, shaking from anger, he raised his Bible, and he said, Justice Bennett, you need to tremble before the word of the Lord. At that point, the justice dubbed him a Quaker, which is how Quakers got their name. And as I entered the hearing room that day, that's not the reason I was quaking. I was ushered into the room, and the general had me sit at the end of a long wooden table. He sat at the other end, and there were three uh, military men on each side of the table. So there were seven military officers in all, all in full-dress uniform, all staring at me. The general asked me why I filed for CO status, and I explained it to him. Then they started asking me questions. Why was I opposed to our actions in Vietnam? Did I hunt? Had I ever killed anything? What would I do if I was faced with the decision to kill or be killed? Would I object to serving in the armed forces in non-combatant status? On and on. They were very thorough and very respectful. And after a few moments, they actually thanked me and sent me on my way. Two weeks later, I received a letter granting me status as a conscientious objector and I decided to volunteer for service. My friends thought I was nuts. Uh, it was toward the end of the, the war. Very few people were being called up. It was a, a lottery draft system, and uh, I had a reasonably high number, so the chances were that I might not be called at all. But I couldn't be sure either way, and I decided to plan for it rather than leave it hanging over my head. So I volunteered for service. When I went into the local office, the recruiter seemed shocked to see me. I wasn't really, wasn't really sure why. Um, I thought maybe it was just because I'd volunteered. But uh, when the paperwork was finished, the recruiter said, look, um, I'm not supposed to do this. But you surprised me when you came in here because of something that just happened this morning. He went to his file cabinet, 
He pulled out the front file. It was mine. He just reviewed it. He was about to call me into service when I walked in the door. But there was another reason that I volunteered for service that day. I was following that inner belief that told me that you show your core values by what you do, not by what you say. We all have choices, and and though it might not be easy, and although the system is far from perfect, in America we are free to follow the choices we make, for good or for ill. I believed then, and I still do today, that providing two years of service to this country is a small thing against the privilege of living here. I'm not worried at all. I'm not worried. If you have a story to share yourself, contact Quinn Hoffman or Sarah Tarico with their information found on our brand new wonderful website at impact89fm.org. Steve's story and all episodes of Exposure can be found online at impact89fm.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at impact underscore exposure to stay up to date with what we do here on our program. Special thanks to our general manager, Ed Glazer, our station manager, Gabriela Saldivia, our producer, Quinn Hoffman, and Sarah Tarico for leading Michigan Storytellers. You've been listening to Exposure, Michigan State's student-run news program, with your host, Dana Orizel. I'm not worried at all. I'm not worried. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure.